people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Today we're going to be talking about the importance of being educated to have a better life with kidney disease. I love education. I love a better life. <laughs> I know. You know, sometimes it's so hard to learn everything you need to know. I mean, I know that I constantly am finding and learning new things that I need to know, and sometimes I forget some of the things that I've learned before. Have you had that problem? I forget what I had for lunch. I don't know what you're... T- yes, because, you know, I, I, I go to my kids for help because I, you know, it's so funny. I There's so much in the world to learn each and every day, and I can't keep up with it all. I'm just so embarrassed. One of the things that I just learned recently, and this isn't has anything to do with kidney disease, but it's like, you know, your, your sunscreen that you have that you pick out, you go to the aisle and you see all these different sunscreens. Right. Well... They have all these large bottles. Unless you live out in the sun, the the sunscreen's not good after a year. Did you know that? It, like, expires. Sunscreen expires after a year? So you you can't eat it after a year. Yeah. Like, on the bottom, you have to eat it. I just got that one, too. (laughs) You're slow. I know. You're learning every day with me. Um, Yeah. On the bottom, you have to look at it because it expires. So they need to have miniature vials of sunscreen, not these huge bottles that you could lather an elephant with. Are you insinuating something about me when you said elephant? <laughs> no. You you kind of pointed to me no, when you said ladder like an I elephant. I just was just just thinking of a large living thing that would take a lot of sunscreen. Now we have a great 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 guest today. Yes, Ken Kleiman is going to be with us today. He's a, a nephrologist and president of Nephrology Medical Associates and the CEO of South Valley Regional Dialysis Center in Tarzana, California. So that's Dr. Ken Kleiman to you. And so we'll be back soon with Dr. Ken Kleiman. Dr. Ken Kleiman with a lot of exciting stuff. He even has a video game he's going to tell us about. I know. So stay tuned. When you think back about your high school years, one of the strongest memories people have is their prom. It's their one night to shine, one night to dance the night away, one night to ride in a stretch limo, one night to feel like a star. This January 14th, the Renal Support Network will hold its eighth annual premiere event, the Renal Teen Prom. This is the chance for teens to stop thinking about the needle sticks, the PD exchanges, and the constant meds they have to take. For one night, they celebrate their life with hundreds of other teen kidney patients, and the only prescription is, have the time of your life. So this January 14th, join us on the campus of prestigious Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California. The prom features live entertainment, arena-friendly dinner, dancing, limo rides, glamour photos, and Hollywood celebrities. And get this, it's absolutely free. To receive an invitation or make a donation to an Evening Among the Stars renal teen prom, visit rsnhope.org or call 818-543-0896. That's 818-543-0896. You've got the power to brighten someone's life. This is your chance to shine like the stars. Doctor, doctor, 
Dr. Ken Kleiman, welcome to Kidney Talk. Yes, it's so great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, what's some of the first things that, you know, we're here talking about, you know, the importance of education when you have kidney disease, and what's something that you tell a patient when they come in? What are some of the first things that they need to learn? Well, when I get referred a patient with kidney disease, the first thing I try to do is educate them about what kidney disease is. It's a very esoteric thing for most doctors to understand. So for a patient, it could be very, very complicated. And I've tried to break it down into actually understanding what kidney disease is, what the kidneys do, how the kidneys function for you. And really one of the biggest misunderstood things is that people can keep urinating normally and have kidney disease. And they could have kidney disease for years and years before they get serious kidney failure. In fact, if you look at people and go back, usually their first symptom of kidney disease is when they start getting up at night to urinate assuming that they're not an old man and have prostate problems. Okay. But people often have kidney disease many years before they show up in the doctor's office. So that's not normal to get up in the middle of the night and urinate? Because I used to do that all the time. Or maybe I had kidney disease. I don't know. You may have had kidney disease much earlier than you thought. In fact, many people have it probably 10, 15, maybe 20 years before they see a doctor. Wow. Or before their doctor may refer them to a kidney specialist. So it's really important to get somebody at a really early point because there's very, very effective therapies now to actually prevent the progression of kidney disease and really keep people off dialysis or they need for a transplant. Because kidneys, you know, not only take out the fluid, but they also take off out the toxins, correct? So usually the kidneys can remove the fluid, but they kind of that's aren't so of great things, at removing the, the things, toxins. That's one of the things that's very hard for people to understand that I'm, I keep urinating. How could I have kidney disease? The other thing is that you can lose 75% of your kidney function before you really f- start feeling sick. So it's, it's not like heart disease or heart failure or lung problems or having a stroke, but you could have a lot of problems for quite some time before really you start feeling sick or may even go to a doctor. So it's a really stealthy disease. I mean, you don't feel it coming on. It's a very, very stealthy, stealthy. disease, as you say. And That's it's, a neat word. Uh, it's, it's very very subtle because it's, it's a chemical disease before it becomes uh, really a clinical disease for what people feel. In other words, the laboratory changes may proceed the way people feel years and years or even decades in advance. So once you find, you know, patients have kidney disease and they need to go on dialysis, what are some of the first things that you think they need to be educated on? Um, you know, you educate a patient about the different aspects of dialysis and the different modalities, but patients are self-managing at home. So what are the things that they need to learn to live a successful life with kidney disease? Well, one of the things I try to do, if I can, is to try to keep people off dialysis. But assuming that we're at the point where people are what's called stage four or stage five, where they need dialysis, I give them the different options. And the options are either generally in-center dialysis, where they go to a dialysis unit generally three or four times a week, or they do peritoneal dialysis at home on their own, which is a self-care, or there are newer techniques where you can do dialysis usually uh, five or six days a week at home for lesser amounts of time and have more stability and control over your life. And there are some new technologies that have emerged within the last five years or so where people can do dialysis generally about two hours to two and a half hours, six times a week, and really feel pretty normal because they get more kidney function, they're more consistent and stable rather than having kind of a yo-yo effect on how they feel. 
Now, you said you try to keep your patients off of dialysis, and I tried to stay off dialysis for the longest time, and people kept telling me, no, you don't want to do that. You want to get on dialysis. You probably want to get on dialysis before you need to have to go on dialysis because it just hurts your kidney if you don't go on dialysis. Well, you know, there's differing opinion. Some the, the overall numbers of people on dialysis keep going up, but the population in the United States keeps going up. If you really look at some areas, the amount of people going on dialysis is actually going down. There's very, very effective medications. And a lot of things that uh, I think doctors are pushed into is just using drugs and medications. They're not necessarily thinking about nutrition and exercise and weight control and diet and just kind of psychologically how people approach having any sort of illness and being very motivated. I'll give you uh, one quick example of a, a woman, a young woman who's in her early 30s with a small child who mm -hmm. was referred to me somehow through friends. And she was told by doctors about 25 miles away that she had to go on dialysis immediately. There was nothing she could do. She was going to need a transplant or dialysis. And she came to me about four years ago, and we've actually stabilized and actually reversed some of her kidney failure and kidney disease that she's at the point now that she's very strongly considering actually having another child because oh, she wow. feels so much better. What, what, and she was, what did and she, she do? Was, well, she was very, very anemic. We treated her anemia. She had very uncontrolled parathyroid disease, all the, the things that go along with having kidney disease because it's not just having kidney disease. Your whole body's, your parathyroid glands may be out of whack. Your phosphorus may be out of whack. Your fluids may be out of whack. Your blood pressure out of whack. And we changed her medicines around. We got her to lose weight. We, we educated her very, very intensively. And she's bilingual in English and Spanish in terms of what to do. And she looks outstanding. In fact, you would never know that she really has kidney disease now. So did she lose weight and she became in control of her diet and what she could eat and what she couldn't eat? Well, I systematically, I, I developed a product called Renal Touch, which is an interactive educational software. And it didn't take just a couple of months. It took 10 years to develop. And I used the help of a patient of mine's wife, who uh, he was on dialysis, and she developed, she got her PhD in nutrition during this time. And she actually teaches medical students now at USC about nutrition. And we got a very experienced uh, renal dietitian from UCLA, who's a friend of mine. And we talked to nurses and 10 years of practice telling people the same thing. I realized that there's so much information to learn. There there's is. just no way <laughs> that you can do it in a 15-minute visit or even a 15-hour visit. So we did is over time, we developed a what I would call brain-dead interactive touchscreen software model where people can either listen to it or read it, and they can just use their fingertips. And you only need as much as a fifth-grade education to learn it, and we made it bilingual in English and Spanish. And we break down point by point. So the first thing is understanding kidney disease. And the first visit, they do this. The next visit, they understand what can you do to keep your kidneys healthy. And we entitle that. Then we talk about the vascular problems, the phosphorus, calcium, vitamin D problems, the anemia problems. And then we've developed an interactive cafeteria with over 1,500 foods from all sorts of ethnic varieties in terms of how much salt, how much phosphorus, how much calcium, because it's impossible for really anybody to know. But we give patients endless amount of time to play with this and to learn about it and educate themselves. And I'm very, very uh, strong believer in empowering patients to know what I know or more, because I know that with diabetics, they can handle their blood sugar better than I can. I want to teach my patients with kidney disease 
how to manage themselves better than I can manage them. They have to live with it 24-7. Right. I see them maybe <laughs> once every two, three months. It's very important for them to have the power and knowledge not to keep it from them. Exactly, because, I mean, the longer I have kidney disease, the less I feel like I know, because there's always something to learn. And what happens is, is that there's so many elements to it, you start to realize that they all are so interconnected. If you're doing something wrong, it af- affects something else. And you may be looking at one set of numbers, and you're saying, wow, I'm doing everything right here, but it's because you're just off on one the little element. The reason I went into nephrology is because I found the best internists who knew everything about the body were kidney specialists. It affects the heart, the brain, the lungs, the kidneys, the blood vessel system. Uh, the parathyroid system, the hormone system, the insulin system, everything about the body is affected. And if you really are not a great internist and don't understand how the body works and what you can do to affect every part of it and kind of break it down piece by piece, you're not going to do a good job for your patients. You're just going to try to see them onto dialysis. Unfortunately, probably only 4% of doctors have any significant nutritional training. And in studies we've done, we would say it's probably more like Four out of a thousand really know much about wow. nutrition. They say, see the dietitian. And we know from our studies that the average dietitian in a big dialysis unit may have 300 patients to see in a month, and they'll have maybe 15 minutes per patient. So we've given them a tool that they can play with endlessly, and they can learn more and really empower them. And we did it at a level that the, the average person can do it. You don't need a college education or even a high school education to do this. That Reno Touch system software, that, that sounds fantastic. Now, you, you say you just touch the screen, right? You just touch the screen. It starts itself. You can stop it. You can go forward. You can go backward. You can make it louder. You can create a tray and go down a cafeteria line, create your own breakfast. You can put things on the tray, take them off the tray. Because so, I got to tell you, you know, I go to the airport and I try to check in with the touch screen and I, <laughs> and I screw that up. Now, does this Renal Touch have any video poker? I mean, would that be a way to... We haven't incorporated the <laughs> slot haven't. machine yet. No, no we're, you we're haven't. working on that part. No, yeah. do, they, do they do this while they're on dialysis? So that takes up their time? We or? started in dialysis uh, for about three years before we went on to chronic kidney disease. And we had, I hate to say it, a captive audience because people generally are in dialysis anywhere from 9 to 12 hours a week. And they're sitting there, so they might as well use time to educate themselves and get healthier. So once we learned all of the things, uh, the mistakes that we made or the things that were working, we expanded it to what's now called chronic kidney disease stages zero to four. And there are 20 million people in the United States who are at risk for kidney disease. And we think if we can get to people very, very early on, and I've seen this in my own practice because I'm trying to put myself out of business. I've taken care of dialysis patients for over 20 years. I would very much like to save people from being on dialysis and do what I can empower them to to stay off dialysis. That can't always happen, but many, many times it can. Well, uh, Dr. Kleiman, we're going to have to take a quick break, but we're going to come back and we're going to learn more. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. No pills going to cure my I'm Aaron Kinsley, and I'm a kidney patient just like you. I had no idea I was on the road to end-stage renal failure. As we know, there really is no clear sign when your kidneys start to fail. So I urge you to tell your relatives and friends, especially those who are 65 and older, 
to get a simple blood test to see if they are at risk for kidney failure. The glomerular filtration rate, or GFR, will tell them how well their kidneys are functioning. If their kidneys are failing, you and their doctor can share the many different ways they can live with kidney disease. As we know, it's not fun to find out you have kidney disease. It's even less fun to die from it. Postman, here you go. Hmm, I won the million-dollar giveaway sweepstakes. Oh, I finally got my tax refund check. Oh, my God, I I can't believe this. I got my order of Dairy Delicious! Oh, boy, milkshakes, creamy soup, cereal with milk, and pudding! (laughs) Why is Mr. Smith so excited about his Dairy Delicious? I have a hint. You see, Mr. Smith is on dialysis, and Dairy Delicious is real milk especially created for kidney patients. It has half the potassium and half the phosphorus of regular 2% milk, but it has 100% of the flavor. Perfect for people who love dairy products and need to keep their lab values normal and dietitians happy. And most of all, it's delicious. Thousands who have tried Dairy Delicious sing its praises. See what I mean? To order your own Dairy Delicious and possibly get as excited as Mr. Smith here, call 1-877-4-DAIRY-7. That's 1-877-432-4797. Or visit DairyDelicious.com. Dairy healthy, dairy good, dairy delicious. The milk that's made for you. Doctor, doctor, give me the news, I gotta... Give us some of the things that patients misunderstand the most about chronic kidney disease. Well, I think one of the things is the fact that you can keep urinating and really feel relatively normal and your kidneys can be going. So you could lose, like I said before, maybe 60, 70, 80 percent of your kidney function. And then one day someone tells you you need dialysis and you come in and you're angry and resentful because your life has changed forever. So you really want to be very proactive with your health in general and sometimes uh, doctors don't refer patients early enough. Sometimes patients uh, really don't want to know. And I think that uh, people really need to understand early on what they're dealing with to, to be as proactive as they can to try to improve their own health. Once they're on dialysis, what are some of the most critical elements that they need to learn to help them maintain a healthy lifestyle on dialysis? The first thing is they need to learn that they need to get enough dialysis. Patients want to have the least amount of time and really would prefer not to be there. But the thing is, if you're going to be on dialysis, you might as well make as much time as necessary to keep healthy. So a lot of times, people are started on maybe three hours, three times a week, which is often very inadequate dialysis, and they never want to increase their time. But I tell them if they just increase their time 20 minutes sometimes to three hours, 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. they're going from nine to 10 hours a week. They're adding 11% of kidney function. Uh, 11%? 11% of their uh, dialysis schedule. Oh, okay, I see. The other thing is that what's the most understood thing is that being on dialysis, you generally have less than 10 or even 5% kidney function. When you get dialysis, it does not give you back normal kidney function. You may only get up to maybe 15% of normal. So you're never getting any really near normal or near where a transplant may get you, which is 50 to 70% of normal. That's one of the reasons why people don't feel that well always. And I try to convince people that it's in their best interest to get as much dialysis as possible because they may only getting 12, 13, 14, 15 percent. And going a little bit longer is important. 
The second thing is that they really need to follow their diet and take their medications. And if they do that, they're going to do much better because people never really die from kidney failure. They die from strokes and heart attacks and complications, really, of what happens to the body from kidney disease. Nobody has ever died being on dialysis from having kidney failure. That's always available. So you want to prevent heart disease. You want to prevent strokes. You want to prevent high blood pressure complications, low blood pressure complications, and follow diet. You want to get your nutrition as best as you can. And if you really follow it, you're going to get enough protein and eat enough and be strong enough because most people don't eat enough on dialysis. They're told for years and years, you can't eat protein, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. When you're on dialysis, sometimes you actually have to double the amount of protein Mm -hmm. in your diet. I've said that a lot to Steve, and I keep, you know, we even have a commercial that runs on the show about getting enough protein, because I know that that's one of the things that my nephrologist always told me growing up, is that, you know, Lori, I don't care, I mean, I want you to follow the renal diet, but if it comes to a choice of eating or not eating, just eat. One thing we found 20 years ago when we were testing EPO and people before they're on dialysis is that I found that they're more malnourished than anything when they got on dialysis, and it was very, very hard to get that back. So the thing is, you have to eat enough. You have to get enough exercise, something that's very important for everybody. Wait, how come people didn't say that to me when I was a kid growing up and I was 300 pounds? <laughs> they never told me to keep eating. They were scared of you. <laughs> yeah, they were. But no. the, the other thing is that you really need to keep a positive outlook. And I have to say that everything above the neck is equally important, if not more important than below the neck. Because if people get depressed, which is very, Mm -hmm. very common in anybody with any chronic illness, and you don't have a positive outlook on what's going to happen, it's going to destroy the rest of you. An illness is too demanding when you don't have hope. I mean, I've always said that. where is that from? I I know. Have you heard that before, Stephen? Yes. I mean, it is. It's like if you don't don't have hope, and I've always believed this, it's so hard to do the diet and the exercise and all the other, show up for dialysis. And so, you know, kidney disease, if you're on dialysis, is really easy to commit a slow suicide because you don't take care of yourself. And eventually, it's just, um, you know, you just Well, I think you have to have hope, and sometimes that means getting a psychologist or a psychiatrist or I would say probably 20 or 30% of our patients take medicine to help them with depression because it's very, very common to be depressed. And once you get depressed and get down, things become more onerous. It could be sunny and beautiful. The day looks gorgeous and you could feel like uh, you're about to you know, evaporate into the middle of the earth. Or if you feel good, it could be rainy and horrible out and you could feel great. So everything above the neck is as important and in some cases I'm believing much more important in terms of how people do. No arguments here, that's for sure. Absolutely no arguments here. Now, there are some uh, patients out there, people with kidney disease, who choose to stay on dialysis, and they don't choose a transplant. What is your opinion about that? Well, the first thing is that if people are medically unstable to get a transplant, let's say that you're 80 years old with heart disease and strokes, your, your chances of really getting knocked off by a transplant are pretty high. The, Knocked off, you mean not well, surviving? You're probably going to die from so the complications either of surgery or the drugs for a transplant. Now, it's interesting that this fact has been studied, that if you live 90 days with a transplant, it takes 90 days where your survival improves over dialysis. So you're more likely to live for the first 90 days if you're on dialysis. If you get past 90 days with a transplant and you don't have infections or complications or rejections, then your not only quality of life, but your chance of living longer dramatically improves. Now, for some people, 
you know, they're not willing to take that. For that instance, first 90 days is, is well, difficult. Well, you're always taking a risk for what you don't know. I mean, right. I'm not willing to get LASIK to, to, to fix my eyes because I think I'd have to trade off and need reading glasses and I would need a surgery that I don't need and my own doctor told me I'd probably be unhappy with it. So some people are not really willing to take the risk. Some people are willing to take the risk at all costs and they don't really care. And some people get very desperate. So the thing is that you have to understand what you're getting to. Having a transplant can be great. Having a transplant can also cause other problems. Physical, mental, you have to take medication the rest of your life, and you have to kind of understand what you're getting into. You also have to understand what disease you have and whether it's going to affect that or not. Right. I had a friend who had a transplant, and she had a disease that reoccurred in the transplant, so she didn't keep the transplant. So, so the transplant um, yeah. causes other diseases to rehappen? Or well, about right one, out of, one out of six people over the age of 60 will get diabetes after having a transplant because they have to take cortisone generally the rest of their life. And so they're very likely to develop diabetes if they don't have it. If you are diabetic and you take high doses of cortisone, your diabetes is probably going to get worse. and You're going to have to take more medicines and insulin and things like that to keep your sugar under control. And that's a trade-off. So you have to say whether you're willing to kind of take the, the chance to do that. The old adage that I was taught is that if you're going to get a transplant, you buy a bottle of champagne the day of the transplant, you kind of take it out of the, uh, the storage in three months, you put it on ice at six months, you start drinking it one year. So if you get to one <laughs> year with a transplant and you're doing well, you're probably going to be on relatively low amounts of medications you're probably going to feel better. But remember, you have to get to that 90-day mark because the first three months are kind of tricky. Now, I hear nowadays you don't have to take as many steroids as you used to in the past. Is that correct? Well, they try to get people down on steroids, and there are experimental protocols where they try to go without steroids. Now, I have a patient in my practice who's a very young woman who got a perfect match from her mother, absolutely perfect match, and they put her on a no-steroid protocol. She lost the kidney at six days, and they had to take it out, and they had to throw it in the garbage. Now, it turned out that she got a almost mismatched kidney from her brother about two years later, and it's working pretty well. So there's a little bit of magic. Is she to, on steroids on the second? And she's on steroids, and we're all very nervous about taking her off. She wants to come off because she's a very pretty girl, and she doesn't look quite the same. Unfortunately, at least presently, you have to really take drugs, and I don't think that we can yet figure out. I think it will come at some point. Who's going to benefit by steroids? Who's not going to benefit by steroids? With that even, there's people with nutrition that, you know, not everybody loses weight on a certain diet. And there's now genetic tests that you can do to figure out what's called nutrigenomics, where you can figure out what kind of diet might be best for you. So it may be that five years from now, 10 years from now, we're going to say, well, you know, you're the type of person who needs a lower carbohydrate or a higher carbohydrate or lower protein or high protein diet. Because not, let's face it, we've all tried diets, and they don't work for everybody. Right. So I, I think we're going to I'm still waiting more. for them to tell me I needed to be on the chocolate diet. <laughs> I know. That would, be, that would be nice, wouldn't yeah. it? That will um, always be around. One of the things that I think is, is something that is so important for people who have chronic kidney disease is their vascular access. Um, are there any things that you tell your patients to take care of their vascular access? The vascular access is the Achilles tendon of somebody on dialysis. In fact... One out of four hospitalizations for people on dialysis in the United States are related to the vascular access clotting. The first thing to do is to find a very, very, very good vascular surgeon. Now, even in groups that have eight or ten vascular surgeons, maybe one guy is really good at making 
a vascular access. And they've studied this. So you want to find the guy who is really, really good. He's what's called a monoclonal guy. He can do 100 accesses and maybe 95 of them will work. Because if you get a good fistula and it works six months, it's likely to work the rest of your life. You're 100 times less likely to have an infection and you're probably much, much less likely to ever have problems with it clotting. So if you can find somebody who can make you a really good vascular access and is really talented in doing it, you got to find that guy. Now, it turns out that most people who do vascular access surgery in the United States are not vascular surgeons. They're actually general surgeons. And it's the lowest priority in terms of vascular training, and we've studied this. So you want to find the guy who is the best at it, who's going to last the longest. How do you find out? How do you how do you know? If you, you're a patient and you're out there trying to search for a surgeon or... Well, hold think, auditions, right? I think <laughs> that you would do it the way you would buy a car, the way you would buy a house, the way you would find a doctor. You have to find out who is the best guy, even if it means maybe you know getting and getting up and driving 30, 40, 50 miles and finding the best guy. I just came through three surgeries on my back and... I could tell you I was going to go to the best guy, you know, as, as much as I would have to drive to see him. I was going to do it because it was just much too important. You're absolutely right because, uh, you know, I know the problems that I've had with my fistula. I've had, you know, like four surgeries on my fistula. I have tape on my arm right now from a, a recent surgery to just, you know, fix it, open it up or, you know, and it's, it's so important. So you want to find the guy because I, I see that you have one, it looks like, in your forearm. And sometimes after people have, and you have a fistula, right. not a graft. Right. So sometimes you can go to a very good surgeon and they can take a forearm fistula. And once it's been in for a while, your upper arm veins have really dilated up and become much bigger. And they can actually move it up your arm and make it bigger that it's going to stay open. Now let's face it, if you're going down the Amazon or the Nile River, it's much more likely to keep open than a little puddle or lake in your backyard is after a rainstorm. So sometimes if you find a guy who's really smart, he's going to say, you know, let me, let me think this out before I just start getting my scalpel out. I'm going to move this fistula up your arm because you have bigger veins now and it will never clot again as opposed to going back to a failed procedure. You know, thinking out things, whether you're an actor or you're a doctor or whatever are, you know, and practicing it before you do it is really, really critical to success. And, and once you have the vascular access, what does the patient do to maintain it? Once I find it? that vascular surgeon, I lock him in the hospital and I never <laughs> let him out. <laughs> you never let him out? And... Never let him out. And I've, and I've created a network of guys that I know are good, and I've gone out and learned enough about vascular surgery myself to teach them and to send them places to learn technologies that they don't know. Because you can take a good doctor and make them a great doctor. You may not be able to take a good doctor and uh, keep them average. You have to sometimes step up to the plate, whether you're an actor, you're a doctor, or a lawyer. You always have to improve your techniques. And doing the same thing wrong a thousand times, as opposed to doing less of them right, is the way to go. So, But after the patient gets the vascular access, what do they do to maintain it? Um, to make sure that there's no complications. Well, you have to be educated about it by your staff. You have to educate how to make sure that they rotate the needles, that they put the needles in right, that they don't blow your fistula, that you put on just enough pressure, that you don't put too much pressure, that you clot it off. And there's a lot of things you can do. Ten years ago in our unit, we had probably 25% of people with grafts. Now we have 55% of people who have fistulas. 
we've more than doubled it. And I was uh, the chairman of a group of the Kidney uh, Foundation of Southern California to try what's called fistula first to get people to get fistulas early on. So you got to search out people who really know about fistulas. Going back to somebody who fails again and again and again, you have to wonder, maybe they're not the right guy. Well, you know, the thing is so important is when you don't know what you don't know, that's one of the things. And then you wake up one day and you learn something that you should have known five years ago. As a patient, it makes you very upset. Like, nobody told me this. I think as a doctor, you have to be willing to say what you don't know. And it's, it's only the brave individual that is uh, willing to say, you know, I just don't know this. Let me find somebody who knows more or let me find out more about this for you rather than giving somebody a BS story. And it's their health that's going to go down the tubes. Oh, now, can we say BS on the air? I think we can. Oh, okay. I think that's, we can. That's exactly high blood sugar, yes. Yes. <laughs> Blood exactly. sugar, yes. Well, thank you so much for yes, joining thank us. You. We, we, I've learned a lot, and I want to. I, I want to, you know, you know, arm wrestle my uh, nephrologist to get one of these renal touch machines. Just use your non-fistula arm. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. No pills gonna cure my ill. I got a bad case of loving you. Boy, that renal touch system, I, I got to get my doctor to get that. I want to play that game. I want to see the graphics. I want to learn more about my kidney disease. I know, and we can be educated and we can learn more and more about it. But one thing I really like about Dr. Kleiman is he's really direct. He gives you the facts. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't uh, sugarcoat anything, does he? Right, and his voice is so calming and, and, and I don't know, I just felt like... I don't know. I, I felt like a cup of chamomile tea. What else? What 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 more could you ask for on kidney talk? I you know I actually don't know. Okay, then it's time <laughs> to say goodbye. Then <laughs> thanks for joining us, everybody. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our healthcare team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information.